0: Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. In 1722 in America, two colonizing fur traders killed a Seneca hunter in Pennsylvania. It happened during a pivotal time in the relationship between the Haudenosaunee people and the colonists. Historian Nicole Eustace wrote a book about the murder and the fallout titled Covered with Night, a story of murder and indigenous justice in early America, which won the Pulitzer Prize in history. And she talked to here now Scott Tong about it. And something that I want you to pay close attention to is when she points out the different approaches to justice the indigenous people take compared to the colonists. I, I couldn't help but think about it in the context of this other conversation we've been having in this country about prison reform versus abolition and the criminal justice system more broadly, and how America's attitude towards law and order was set in stone at the very beginning.
1: So set the scene for the murder that's at the center of this book. It's 1722, five decades before the Revolutionary War, and two white traders are negotiating a a trade deal with a member of the Seneca tribe, and then things somehow go wrong, yeah?
2: Absolutely. So in this period, in the early 18th century, the fur trade was economically very significant for many European colonists. There was a lot of money to be made. And men who lived in and among Native peoples who were colonial in origin were best placed to profit. Native peoples approached the fur trade with a different set of concerns. They were really interested very much in creating new kinds of relationships and community ties with Mm these colonists. And so when two fur traders, John Cartledge and his brother Edmund met with a Seneca man named Sawantaney, they had profits in mind and a dispute arose when they did not offer him adequate compensation.
1: And then there is apparently rum involved and then it turns violent, yeah?
2: Yeah. There is rum involved, and it's quite fascinating because nobody ever agreed exactly where the rum came into the dispute. Native Mm. peoples said that Salwantani refused more rum in payment for his furs, something I find very plausible. The Uh, colonists always claimed that the native people had wanted more alcohol. The reality is that there were treaty conferences asking colonists to stop trafficking rum. So I find the Native uh, side of that story more persuasive. At any event, they did fall to blows and the cartilages viciously attacked Sawantani with his own gun uh, and left him for dead. And that then set off this crisis between the two peoples.
1: Let's talk about that. These two men are accused, but the governor of Pennsylvania and the colonists, they're worried that this could mean war with the Native groups. So how do they try to keep a lid on things?
2: Well, the colonists' idea of uh, how to keep a lid on things, as you put it, is that they are going to offer Native peoples equal justice. They say Hmm. that they will arrest the suspects, that they will jail them, and that if they're found guilty after a trial, they'll be subjected to capital punishment, and they think that by offering, quote, equal justice, which was their phrase, they'll be able to head off any further conflict with Native peoples. Very much to the colonists' surprise, representatives from the varied peoples living together in the Susquehanna Valley, including representatives from what was then the five nations of the Haudenosaunee, said no thank you to that offer. Um, And they actually said one life is enough to
1: be lost. Haudenosaunee, for the rest of us, can you define that for us?
2: Sure. Haudenosaunee refers to the Confederation of Native American Nations, sometimes called now the Iroquois, but who prefer to be known as the Haudenosaunee. And that name literally means people who build a house. So it's the community of what are now the six nations of the Haudenosaunee. That includes the Mohawk, the Oneida, the Onondaga, the Cayuga, the Seneca, and today the Tuscarora.
1: Wow, the people who build the house. Yeah. That's really something. And I guess as you're right, though, this is where the cultural signs get crossed or missed. You're describing this British way of justice that the colonists are thinking about And this is a window into the indigenous worldview that is really different, isn't it? That this murder is in a way an opportunity for healing and connecting.
2: Absolutely. So from the native perspective, if there's a crisis of violence that occurs within a community, amongst friends or allies, it becomes an occasion for the repair of that break in the social fabric. So the indigenous representatives try to explain to colonists how they would like to handle the crisis. And what they wanted was a sort of a multi-step process. They wanted colonists to admit what happened and apologize. They wanted them to express condolences with them. That kind of emotional caretaking and spiritual ritual of condolence was incredibly important in Native communities. They also wanted the colonists to pay reparations. They wanted them to make economic amends for what had happened. And after a series of conference meetings and ritual ceremonies, Native people not only wanted the cartilages to go free, but they actually mm. proposed to welcome them back to the community. This was utterly at odds with the English focus on individual guilt, individual punishment, and reprisals.
1: So this seems one of the key questions here, is why don't the colonists understand this? Your book goes into many efforts by these Native groups to communicate this. There's even a key middleman, an Indigenous man, named Civility. Are the colonists tone deaf? What are they missing
2: Again, colonists' approach to crime and punishment is filtered through uh, a Christian view of sin and virtue, and it's very individualistic. It assigns culpability for crime to a single person, whereas the Native perspective is really all about relationships and community building.
1: And eventually, still in this year of 1722, The various sides involved, the various Native groups and uh, colonial leaders at the time, they enter into this treaty conference. In the end, what does each side come away with?
2: Well, Native people were really quite successful. They wanted colonists, as I've said, to express condolences, to engage in rituals of repair, um, and to pay reparations. They got all of that. And they forced the governor of Pennsylvania, who was quite reluctant to travel, to go all the way to Albany, New York, in order to participate in those rituals with the leaders of the
1: Haudenosaunee. And so for the colonists, what did they come away with from this treaty?
2: Well, the colonists reassured themselves that they could preserve the peace. This was a treaty conference that was actually participated in by a variety of different colonies, Representatives from Virginia, from New York, as well as from Pennsylvania, attended the conference, and they confirmed that the five nations of the Haudenosaunee would recognize their right to settle in areas of what is now Western Pennsylvania and New York. So colonists preserved this treaty because it was a record of land rights, and that's why it remains Mm. in effect.
1: So this treaty is uh, the Great Treaty of 1722. How should we think about this treaty and what it means today?
2: Well, I like to think of this treaty as a record of different approaches to justice, to a more sort of healing vision of what justice can be. And I think it's really very helpful to know That this is a part of our legacy that we can turn to, that far from being something incredibly radical and unprecedented in American history, reparative approaches to justice actually have these very deep roots in the American past.
1: Now, getting back to the murder that started off the events that you write about in your book, we don't want to give it all away, or perhaps we do, I don't know. What would you like to say (laughs) about the fate of the two men accused of murder?
2: Well, the fate of the two men accused of murder is really very poignant. They were both jailed right up through the treaty conference, and they spent a long, hot summer swatting mosquitoes in that Philadelphia jail. Mm. And come autumn, there were intermittent fevers. And one of the two brothers, in fact, succumbed to his fever and died of the illness that he acquired in jail. His brother, on the other hand, returned to living in the Susquehanna River Valley and in fact lived out the rest of his life there. And not only that, but less than five years after the crime, was successfully um, negotiating to purchase more land from Native peoples. So he did um, resume a very productive life as a member of the community.
1: Nicole Eustace is the author of Covered with Night, a story of murder and indigenous justice in early America. Congratulations, Nicole Eustace, and thank you very much.
2: Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking with you.